0: Welcome to the Local Environment Heroes podcast, a podcast that brings you a series of chats with some amazing local heroes from here in Canberra and from further afield who are doing ace things for our world. The podcast is produced and supported by the Canberra Environment Centre. And your hosts are Fiona Vekanen the Deputy Director of the CEC, and Julie Bolton, a Sustainability Strategist based in Canberra. Hi, I'm so excited. I am sitting here at the Canberra Environment Centre, one of my most favourite places in Canberra, and it's been way too long between recording podcast episodes. I'm Julie, for those of you who don't know, I was here... Not last year, I can't believe it was the year before where we recorded season one of Local Environment Heroes and we loved it. It was awesome. We met some amazing people, had some amazing chats and then last year, life just happened as these things do. Ryan has moved on to another amazing job where he's changing the world by looking after fish and we're going to have him on certainly for one of our episodes to talk about all of the amazing work he is up to. But we have two new amazing people that I can't wait to introduce you to. And first of all, I've got the new deputy director, well not so new anymore, deputy director of the Canberra Environment Centre, Fiona or Fifi, (laughs) she might like to be called. Fiona, I want you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about Fiona.
1: Mm, Yeah, so my name's Fiona Vekinen and I am from Canberra. I've was born in Canberra and I'm not planning to leave anytime soon. I come from a big family and I've always loved making things, making art and telling stories
0: through my art. Um, So you started off life, well life, I mean Mm. you started off Going to university, doing an art degree. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah.
1: So I majored in sculpture at ANU School of Art. And at art school, I made a lot of objects that were were communicating sustainability, but in a very different way. I didn't realise that I was making an environmental stand so much at that time. But um, reflecting, I'm like, oh, it was so, so relevant what I was thinking about, which still resonates with me today, when you're talking about the value of the art object and then you're looking around and you're seeing so much waste and so much stuff in the world and thinking about how those two things coexist. So I made a lot of vaguely functional objects that were quite absurd, really sort of wondering where the place for more things and more consumption existed in the world and how what my relationship with, with stuff would be yeah so I made a lot of sculptures made a lot of creations and I still still do a bit of making today (laughs) I love sculptures what were you making them out of well at first there was wood and metal and fabrics when you finish art school and you have to have an art studio at home it needs to become a little bit more family friendly
0: (laughs) get out the soft sculpture (laughs) so after art school where did you go next
1: So after art school, I was busy having children. I worked at the National Gallery where we told stories through art. I absolutely loved the way the paintings and sculptures and the creations within the collection could communicate in ways that words couldn't. So, sure, I was facilitating these school groups who came into the gallery, but at the same time it was the art on the walls or in the room that had the power to create new ideas and forge new connections. And that's what I love about art. It's the way it tells stories and can give us hope and can create connections that we didn't know were possible. So, yeah. I still see that as being really relevant to what I want to do moving
0: forward. Ah. Yeah. So
1: after the gallery, my husband and I, we started our own restaurant. Um, and my husband's the chef and I'm not. People <laughs> sometimes invite <laughs> me to something, expecting me to bring something delicious. I'm like, oh, if I'm cooking, it may just be boiled rice. but <laughs> Or a zucchini cake or a berry pie, like yeah, repertoire. There's some good options there. <laughs> yeah. So at the restaurant... One of my key focuses was on really considering where the ingredients came from, where our food was coming from and how that would inform the menu and eating seasonally and purchasing locally wherever possible.
0: And so was this driven by you? This was an internal like a decision you and your husband Adam made?
1: Absolutely intentional and it wasn't always possible and sometimes there were compromises but we were – composting all the food waste like the scraps that came back on the plate and the napkins and growing our own greens and creating that loop yeah (laughs) and training staff around separating rubbish and considering more ethical options wherever possible for ingredients was it easy It was really hard. It was exhausting and we worked all the time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So not just hard working in the business, hard making all of those decisions.
1: Well, Uh, it was obvious in my mind that we had to make those decisions, but then it wasn't really labour intensive or really expensive. Mm. And we're working really hard and creating something we were really proud of. At the same time, if you're working all the time and that goes against your values because you're not spending enough time with your family, Mm. how does it all coexist and we made the difficult decision to leave the restaurant close that door finish that and then last year we thought well what's next and it came back down to what are my values what am i interested in my husband is still chefing <laughs> yeah but for me it was more like well the the things that i loved most about working in the restaurant were those connections with people and well yeah tr- training staff around sustainability and considering where the food came from. How do we reduce waste? What are the systems we can put in place that can make the world a better place? And then I thought, well, maybe, maybe that is where I'm going to next. And instead of feeling imposter syndrome.
0: Yeah, we've (laughs) talked about this. We'll talk about it more, I'm sure, as the weeks continue. Yeah, it's like, well, I do have some relevant experience,
1: whether it's communicating through art or through running a business. I think there are just so many different avenues that we can go down to make the world a better place. Yeah. And that's why I'm really looking forward to this podcast, meeting a variety of people who have been sort of experts in their field and are making change in those areas. But even people who aren't particular experts at anything have the power to make small changes which will benefit our environment Yeah, so it's going to be fascinating. I'm looking forward to this series, Julie.
0: Yeah, me too. So maybe we should bring in our first guest. All right, let's do it. So what we've just done in that intervening period where we're going to play some interlude music, we quickly stopped and hooked up another mic and headphones and now we've brought in Holly Truman, who is the director of the Canberra Environment Centre and we are so excited to showcase Holly to the world via our podcast. Right. <laughs> Holly's looking a little bit <laughs> a little bit scared there. Holly, first question. Who are
2: you? Who am I? My name's Holly Truman. I grew up in Armidale in New South Wales, uh, a small on a small little farm. I have had various roles through my life. I've been a scientist and and I've also been a television producer. So that's me.
0: No, no, no! That's way too short. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to go. Hang on, tell us a little bit
2: more about both of those. So, science. What kind of scientist were you? I studied botany and zoology at the ANU back back in the day, specializing in insects. So, uh, insects and evolution were my were my things, and mm. I really really like insects. So, what's your favorite? Uh, scale insects. Ooh, okay. <laughs> They're very cute. There's a little. There's a, if you're ever in the garden underneath a eucalyptus tree, you might find so it looks like a soft-bodied trilobite sitting on the floor just in the leaf litter, and that's fallen off the tree. It's called a monofibulone, and they're sort of like scale insects, so they're female scale insects. They're just completely useless. They just sit there. They can't fly or anything. Anyway, they're, they're, I remember the first time I saw one of those, I was just like, what is that? Mm. And, and that really, you know, piqued my interest in in insects.
0: Yeah, Yeah, wow. Cool. And then from there, I assume you worked in science for a while before moving into television producing? Yeah,
2: yeah. I was a very, you know, when I finished my honours in um, botany and zoology, I was quick to go, I'm leaving Australia, and I was lucky enough to get a job at the Natural History Museum in London, and so I spent, you know, a bit of time there running around the museum I had a master key, and my friends and I would sit there and run around and go, "Wow, wow, wow what what can we find? What can we find in the museum?" So I, I worked there as a technician, working in with mosquitoes and malaria. So that mm. sort of that was my first real job out in the real world.
0: What an amazing first job! Yeah, it's
2: pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> pretty cool. I did do a little bit of time in the in the pub. Yeah, <laughs> just but, a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, and then. I was lucky enough to get a PhD at Imperial College London. So that's right next door. For anyone who knows London, it's, it's the Natural History Museum and right behind it is Imperial College. Um, and I continued on malaria research there. So I'm really good at finding genes. Ooh, yeah, that's, yeah my cool. skill. that's my super skill. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so I spent a bit of time – well, a lot of time um, – Looking at the outside of the malaria parasite as it goes through the mosquito's gut. If you ever need any information on that, wow, I know I know know a bit about that. We'll come to you, Holly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So then, so then, what what happened after your PhD, Dr. Uh, Holly? Dr. Holly needed to finish my PhD, and I needed some money. Mm. Yeah. So I tried to sign up for the Dull in England. And they quickly were really, really, really good at getting me a job. So in England, you have to say what you want to do. And I was like, right, I want to be a research scientist. I want to be a, you know, wouldn't mind working with David Attenborough. The next week, they got me a job at um, BBC in the science department. So I, yeah, I moved over into television from there. So I had this moment of... Trying to finish my PhD, but also having you know starting a really exciting career in TV. So, wow. did you yeah.
1: did you ever work with David Attenborough?
2: No, no, no. I worked in, I worked in the London offices. But so I worked in the science unit there.
0: And so what what does what what does this job entail what, exactly? What were you doing
2: every day? My first job was on a child behavioural show called Child of Our Time, which is a twenty year sort of landmark series for the BBC on the Effective environment versus, you know, nurture nature, science sort of area. So that's that's where I first started. So it was a- anything from wrangling children, holding up sets, filming people. Yeah, everything.
0: Wow. Everything. This is so cool. <laughs> and then, hang on, how do we – like, we're now back in Canberra. What's going on? What's like, going on? This is a few years in between. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm quite young still. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I – came back to Canberra. I came back to Canberra for to be with my family. My my dad lives in well lived in Canberra. So, yes, yeah, so I came back to be with my family. Yeah. And I was really lucky to get a postdoctoral fellowship at CSIRO and that was back in insects. So, mm-hmm. I was using my gene finding skills to find insect silks. So, most people go, "Oh, that's a moth," you know. They're the ones that make silk, but there's a whole family, you know. There's a whole group of insects that make silk, and I was homing in on the group called the Aculeates, and they're the group of insects that sting you. So bees, wasps, those sorts of things. So, yeah. So I've done a lot of work on pulling. I'm really good at pulling salivary glands out of insects. (laughs) And not the super super skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if you're lucky enough to be up in the tropics and see a green ant, like a huge green ant nest that's all made of silk, they actually they get the larvae of the of the little the little babies and they squeeze them out like toothpaste, and they squeeze the silk out and they'll put it in their hand, and and move. Hand as in the ants? Yeah, the ants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 so the mums, you know, squeeze the silk out, and that's how they make their enormous nests. So if you Ever say that? It's um pretty cool. So they're,
0: let's just get this straight: they're squeezing out silk from the baby. Yeah. like they're kind of like
2: yeah, like toothpaste. And the baby's okay with that. Well, that's what the baby does. <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> has to be okay.
0: Oh. Um, yeah. So how are you going to bring that knowledge to the
2: Canberra Environment Centre? That knowledge? Ah, what knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Between that, and then I went back to TV. So yeah. I've worked. I worked for a long time with Catalyst at the ABC, so that's that was you know an amazing experience, um, and you know I met some amazing people through through that time. My first story that I did with the ABC, the first thing I like, the first bit of information that I was I was asked about was they were they were doing this amazing story on coal seam gas. And it was like, what can we do to it, you know? So that sort of thing, and that was working closely with Mark Horseman, who's an amazing journalist. And so, yeah, so I've spent, I've you know, interviewed some amazing people and spent a lot of time looking at the environment through that. My last work was as a documentary producer at a company in in Canberra, doing a lot of documentaries. That's Wild Bear Entertainment, and we sp- specialized in science. Uh, natural history and history documentaries. Hmm. So.
0: so it's like you you love telling the stories about what you find out about. So you like going deep, and then you like sharing that knowledge. Yeah, nice. And so is that that's what you're bringing to the Canberra Environment Centre? Tell us about tell us about now
2: what you're doing at CEC. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, it's re reimagining, and not reimagining, but. But how can we build from this, you know, immensely, like it's been going for 47 years. Mm. Like that just blows my head that that the Environment Centre has been going for such a long time that we're, you know, older than the Wilderness Society. And I just find that, like, it, you know, this is a really big thing that mm. the Environment Centre and it's sort of, we're at, it's pretty diabolical at the moment with, with us losing our space and, and that sort of thing and it's... Um, it's trying to navigate the operations of just keeping us together as a team um, and, you know, and then how can we in the future service the community. Hmm.
1: And I'm so looking forward to your scientific es- expertise <laughs> and storytelling abilities and what that's going to look like into the future, bringing all of that knowledge and experience into the Canberra Environment Centre.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think it's great. At, like it's really exciting that everyone's so different at the Environment Centre as well. We've all got very different backgrounds, and I think just bringing that diversity of thought and diversity of way of looking at things, and you know, and I can be a little bit, you know look at the numbers and, <laughs> and a bit boring like that but that's how I've been trained so yeah. um yeah so um I'll but, go by feel. yeah Fiona will, Fiona will be just like come on come on so um yeah so that would be good
0: where do you think the Canberra Environment Centre is going to be in five years time Well, for its 50th. Let's go for its 50th birthday.
2: 50th birthday. What's going to happen at EC's 50th birthday? Well, we're going to have a birthday. That's how big it will be. I'm not too sure. What I'm really excited about is, like, being able to be talking to everyone in Canberra. You know, you sort of, sustainability is, like, I was brought up, like, you know, my, my dad was a academic you know had stopped the franklin dam on the back of our bicycles that sort of so I was brought up in that sort of environment but I think sustainability is definitely it's it's become mainstream and it's it's how we stay relevant and keep pushing the conversation to make people think further ahead and I think that's what I think that's something that that we can play a role in, Mm. you know, and I really enjoyed doing that with Fiona, I think, yeah.
0: Fiona, what about you? What do you see at the 50th birthday celebrations? Well, like Holly, I'm looking forward to um,
1: expanding what we do to suit a wide demographic. So we're not really interested in only catering to a few people, the same people all the time. We'd love to expand what we can offer to... To be inspiring for children and older people and all the lots of different demographics, and yeah. So, I we're gonna have a party, Holly. <laughs> Julie, you're invited. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping, do you want to ask? Yeah, yeah um, a big party. We're gonna, we're gonna celebrate not just us bringing the Canberra Environment Centre through this next little bit, but the 47 – well, 50 50 years by then of amazing environment
0: communication. Um, And, yeah, it's going to be good. Awesome. Mm. Well, the way way we did these podcasts last season was we had five hero questions that we would ask (laughs) – Our heroes at the end of each episode. And so I'm going to ask both of you these five questions. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Question number one. Congratulations, both of you. You've just been elected the president of the world. What's the one change you try to implement first? So I'm going to go to Fiona first.
1: Well, this is a tricky one. So many options to choose from. (laughs) Power slightly getting to my head. But anyway... (laughs) I would like to phase out plastic manufacturing as the first thing that I, that I do. Um, Maybe not an immediate ban, but let's just actually get rid of all new plastic and set up renewable industries with alternatives. So really investing in new technologies and yeah, ban new plastic. And then if we really need to use plastics, because sometimes it is very handy, let's work out how to recycle what we've already got.
2: Yep. Awesome. Holly? Oh gosh. If you only just nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. What can I do? Oh, I think plastic, I think definitely at the moment. Yeah. is the big conversation and 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 ways to deal with that. And using smart technology to to do it, you know, to be clever about it and not not just yeah, to get rid of it. So, I'd be investing in that space. Awesome. Okay. Question number two. It's 2030.
0: Describe the world you see around you. I'm going to go to Holly first.
2: Wow. That could be a really negative or a real positive, couldn't it? Yeah. Um, 2030, if we don't do anything, we, you know, like we're just on fire. I just think, you know, back to those 2019. 2020 like the the, you know those fires coming through and 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 that apocalyptic just the despair anything that we can do to move us away from that being my future and that being the future of my kids you know I think that's what we really want to concentrate on.
1: In 2030 I can envision a total overhaul of our waste management systems. I'd love to see waste instead of something that we're trying to get rid of as resource. So I'm going to have a slightly more optimistic view, Holly. That's why we make (laughs) such a wonderful team. (laughs) Um, So I would love to see an absolute expansion of recycling and resource management. I can imagine a future with more trees because we've realised that part of solving the problems is planting a lot more trees and caring for the existing habitats and biodiversity that we do have. Lots more education around climate positive behaviours. So those are the kind of things that I would love to see and I'm, I need to sort of conjure up by speaking these things. We're creating a narrative that is attainable. Um, so yeah, those, those are the, the, the things I need to say out loud.
0: <laughs> awesome. Um, both of you, who are your environmental heroes?
1: I, I have a couple of environmental heroes. One is Ronnie Khan, so she's the founder of Oz Harvest. And I think she's amazing. Like she seems so determined and this force to be reckoned with. She's from South Africa. She ran an events company here in Australia and she saw the amount of food waste that was occurring and she did something about it. So she took her expertise and then she used her powers and her connections for for good and not evil. And she's creating this huge system of saving food. She's caring for planet, but she's really doing it by caring for people. And it's that combination, which I just see is really inspiring. But also my other environment hero is just Um, I think about people like my neighbour, Sarah, people who behave in ways that don't get any recognition, but are heroic and even more heroic because they don't do it for the glory. (laughs) These private moments of environmental heroism that I find really inspiring Yeah, just little things like caring for the environment or walking instead of driving, just all of these little things which do add up and those small things are tangible and,
2: yeah, inspire me. Hmm. (laughs) What about you, Holly? The first person who came to mind was uh, Olympia Jaeger. I I know. What a legend. Yeah. Insects. Yeah. Saving the world. (laughs) I love it. I love it. You know. Big enormous vats of soldier flies just sitting there, eating away our wo- our woes. I just think that's amazing, and the the audacity to get that going, mm, I think, yeah. is is just uh, really that's really really cool. So, uh, Olympia, I someone that just one of the many people like at, at Cyro that I came across was a lady called Marianne Augustine, and she's she works palm oil so you know mm. tend to never buy anything with palm oil but she she came from the philippines and she saw the issues there and so she came up with some really amazing technology to make palm oil sustainable how can we change behaviors in in those sort of clever clever way. so she's mm-hmm. she's a power like if you ever come across her she's amazing absolutely amazing scientist and 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 does some wonderful stuff and there's lots of research out there going just sort of trickling along which could save the world mm-hmm. it's quite amazing i've also one of my dear dear friends is a deep sea biologist and he's out in the clipperton zone at the moment clarion clipperton zone um doing uh, his name's adrian glover and he's doing research on on places that have never been seen before and that's a particularly interesting mm. spot because it's where there's a whole heap of lithium so there's a deep sea mining involved it's right in the middle of the pacific right so he's floating mm. around on that boat at the moment he's just a He's a worm biologist and he just spends his days, you know, identifying and letting us know what what we what we could lose and what we have. And so that sort of dedication to to the environment that way is for me really inspiring as well. Awesome. So question 4, do you both have a hot
0: tip for being more environmentally friendly or aware? Just one. I'm sure you've got several, but I want to hear your, your most favourite hot tip. Fiona. Mm, so
1: my hot tip would be to grow a little bit of something, even just a tiny bit of your, your food, whether it's some salad greens, a bit of coriander, some parsley, uh, even if you don't have access to soil um, on a windowsill or in a community garden or going to a friend's house and – engaging in a little bit of guerrilla gardening. There's just so many opportunities for growing a little bit of food. And it's not just about feeding yourself. It's about reconnecting with the value of food. Because when you can do that, then you see that food becomes more expensive at the shops and you think, well, maybe actually that's because it's out of season. And you're sort of a little bit more in touch with that or, as prices change and you consider how far products have come or the, you're more in touch with the elements and what our farmers are dealing with, it just changes our relationship with food and then food waste. Because if you go to all the effort of growing those strawberries from your plant and you finally get a few berries, <laughs> you're gonna, you are not going to let those
2: berries go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was going to say well, similar you know yeah with the with the food just last night my my daughter had she'd grown some potatoes and they're so dear to her she was (laughs) so excited about these potatoes and as I was peeling them she's like can I make chips out of the peels (laughs) and so we made some like potato chips out of the peels because it was so yeah so special you know what 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 else can you do I think just asking those questions what else can I do
0: yeah,
1: that's awesome. And then it sort of over, overflows just from what you grew yourself into that value transferring to the other 99% of the food that you might may need to buy. And that's that's fine. Yeah. That's
2: great. Yeah, I'm not as good a gardener as you, so, <laughs> except for passion fruits. Wow. Mm-hmm. I have got so many oh, passion fruits. Oh, bring them my way. Moment, so <laughs> yeah, many passion fruits. That'd be fruits.
0: awesome. So last, last hero question. I need a slogan or a mantra or just even a thought that you want to leave our listeners with. we mm, we're pausing on this one.
1: Um, I've got a couple. Yeah, great. A couple of thoughts in mind. Um, one is it's easy to get bogged down in despair. Sometimes it's just a matter of not overthinking it and just doing it. So if there's, it's so easy to be overwhelmed by all the emissions and CO2 that as humans we are letting off. But actually just sort of simplifying it and doing one small thing today – just really looking at where you are and just choosing one small thing and that often will be a stepping stone into another environment action.
0: Awesome.
2: And Holly? Hmm. I think just, just actually using that word think. Yeah. So just think what, what is it that you're doing and think can you do it better.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, both of you. So Fiona is going to be a regular on this podcast. She is the new co-host. That's right. So we've got a number of amazing people that are coming on for this next season. So we're going to hear a lot more from Fiona. Holly, feel free to pop back in anytime. We might check in with you over the season just to see where things are up to with the CEC. Just
2: give me a little more warning than a minute, please. That would be good. (laughs) Also
1: with any bug-related questions. yeah. We know who to
0: come to. We know who to come <laughs> to, <laughs> to now, for sure. So that's it. We'll be back shortly with episode number two. Thanks for listening. Local Environment Heroes is recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Nambri peoples, the traditional custodians of the Canberra area. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging and we recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and communities. Subscribe to the Local Environment Heroes podcast wherever you find your podcast and sign up to CEC emails via the CEC website, Canberenvironment.org. Thanks for listening.